Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 14. We left off last week with Paul and Barnabas being driven out of the city of Antioch. And we pick up with Paul and Barnabas, this first missionary journey in Iconium. When we come to a text like this, we may wonder at its application to us. We might wonder at what is the application of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas going out as two throughout a region to establish churches. How does that impact us as believers or as the church today? Well, there's actually a wonderful textual clue as to how this applies to all of us. Paul and Barnabas, this first missionary journey is contained in uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14. And if your Bible is open there, you can uh, look at verse 3 of chapter 13. It begins with Paul and Barnabas being sent off by the church with fasting and prayer for the mission that God had sent them on to. Well, notice what happens at the end of this first missionary journey. There's a summary statement made at verse 23 of chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas uh, make their journey, then they return to go and strengthen all of the saints, these new young believers. They go and strengthen them. They make a return trip to see all of them. And what do they do with each of these new churches that have been established? Well, the end of verse 23, it says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. The same mission that Paul and Barnabas were sent out with, they then extend to each of these new church plants, and they are then to continue it on just as God commanded, just as Christ commanded in the Great Commission. And so in Acts chapters 13 and 14, we have many wonderful examples of what it looks like for us to carry Christ's mission, his commission out here in this world, and that'll be our focus here this morning. So let's give our careful attention to Acts chapter 14, the first seven verses. This is the word of God. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen. This is the word of God. So how do we keep going in the Christian life? How do we as a church continue to pursue the calling that God has placed upon us, that he has given to us? We know that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a mission. We know that we have been commissioned to disciple the nations, to bring the glorious news of Jesus Christ to a world lost in sin. 
there are obvious challenges along the way. Problems arise designed to prevent the church from discipling the nations, and our enemy creates difficulties designed to distract us from this mission. So how do we stay focused and motivated? How do we press on even when we may be tempted to give up? Well, here in God's word, we return to Paul's first missionary journey, and as we do, we see Paul and Barnabas pressing on according to God's call upon their lives, even though they were just persecuted in Antioch. They were just violently driven out of that city. And this is now the third stop along the way, and at each juncture in this journey, Paul and Barnabas have faced these challenges intended by the enemy to turn them out of the way, to turn them from the mission that God had given. On Cyprus, Paul and Barnabas were opposed by uh, Elymas the magician, who was determined to keep his friend Sergius Paulus from the faith. And then in Antioch, in Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas suddenly faced the jealousy of the Jews. Those Jews openly contradicted the message of the gospel, and they personally reviled Paul. They attacked him and incited the leading men and women of the city, stirring up persecution against them, and then finally driving them out of the district. And yet, as we noted at the end of the text last week, Paul and Barnabas, along with the other disciples, were found to be filled with joy. And then we pick up this morning, and we see that Paul and Barnabas, though driven out of the city, they continue to carry out this mission that Christ has called them to. And so here we have in God's word a tremendous picture of what this purposeful perseverance looks like for the church. Last week we were reminded that since we live in a fallen world, we will continue to face difficulties and trials along the way. So how can we continue? How are we to live our lives in this world for the glory of God? How can we learn to live our lives for the sake of our Savior and for the glory and advancement of His kingdom in this world? Well, our text here today provides us with three keys to gospel ministry. Three keys to the gospel ministry that we as a church, that the church in the world has been commissioned unto. You have two blanks in your outline on the back. The third is in the conclusion. Three keys to gospel ministry. Since the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations, God's word provides us with exactly what we need to persevere. So let's begin this morning by considering first the pattern of gospel ministry. By God's design, patterns are woven throughout every single aspect of life. You will be hard-pressed to consider any part of your life without finding therein patterns put there by God's design every day follows the same pattern. The sun rises, it runs its course, and it sets again. Each week follows the same pattern of days. Sunday through Saturday, the days follow one after another. We order our lives according to each week. Every year follows a pattern, spring, summer, fall, and winter. These patterns and so many more are with, woven throughout our lives 
And here, at this point in the book of Acts, a very important pattern emerges. This is now the third stop in Paul and Barnabas's journey, and at each point along this path, the events unfold similarly. They unfold in more or less the same way. So let's observe this pattern. The pattern begins first with proclamation. In each city, Paul and Barnabas prioritize the proclamation of the gospel. They first search out the local synagogue so that they might bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Jews. And then they are ready to turn to the Gentiles. So what is this proclamation? Well, looking to the language of our text, this proclamation is described in two ways. It is described here as speaking boldly for the Lord, which means that this proclamation is an audible announcement for the sake of Jesus Christ. It is opening one's mouth to declare the glories of the gospel of Christ. And what is that message announced? Well, it is identified here as witnessing to the word of his grace. Proclamation is simply announcing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is declaring the greatest story ever told. It is announcing that sinners can have their sins washed away. It is announcing the fact that though we were once children of wrath, we can become sons of God. It is announcing that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is indeed eternal life in Jesus Christ. It is telling enemies of God that they can be reconciled unto him through Jesus Christ. It is announcing that instead of ending in judgment through Christ, they can pass out of this life and into A perfect eternity where they will enjoy God forever. At each point along the path, the pattern starts with this wonderful proclamation. So what happens next? Well, it begins with proclamation, this pattern, but then it continues with production. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, it is very, very productive. Every time the gospel is proclaimed... It always produces. In fact, God put his promise behind gospel proclamation. In Isaiah 55, God says, Just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and water the earth, causing it to bear fruit and sprouts, so too the word of his grace, so too his word. It never ever proceeds from his mouth without accomplishing exactly what it was designed to do. It is always productive. Here in our text, we see what God's word produces. What does it produce? Well, it produces two things. It produces fruit, and it produces frustration. It produces both of these things. Verse 1 reports that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. In other words, a miracle occurred. The glorious fruit from the proclamation of the gospel was that sinners were called out of darkness and into light. Those who were previously dead in their trespasses and sins were suddenly born again when that announcement was made and they sprang to new life. When the gospel is proclaimed, it will often reduce in glorious fruit. Gloriously, the proclamation of God's word is productive, but... 
That is not all that the gospel produces. Gospel proclamation also produces frustration. Look at verse 2. It says that unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. In accordance with God's purpose, some heard the word of God's glorious grace and believed it. They sprang to new life. But at the same time, others heard it and were frustrated, and they were provoked into opposition. Every time the gospel is preached, it produces according to God's will. On Cyprus, the gospel message produced faith in the proconsul and frustration in the magician. In Antioch, the gospel message produced rejoicing among the Gentiles, but then jealousy among the Jews. In each instance, we see the same pattern. The good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed is always productive according to God's sovereign will. Well, Paul and Barnabas here face this opposition from these unbelieving Jews. So what do they do? Well, that's where we see the third part of the pattern, which is persistence. How do Paul and Barnabas respond? I love the language of the text. I love the way that it is translated here. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time. So they responded with persistence. They continued with the mission that God had given them. In some ways, it seems completely illogical. It would not have been surprising to have read, so they left and went elsewhere. But instead of giving in, Paul and Barnabas here press on. And how do they do so? Well, the text notes that as they remained for a a long time, the Lord bore witness to the word of his grace with these signs and wonders, which means Paul and Barnabas persisted by faith. They persisted by trusting in God's word to prevail and to do exactly what he had purposed it to do. They waited on and relied upon the power of God to accomplish his good purpose. And so that is the pattern that we see in gospel ministry. Proclamation, production, and persistence. This is what has occurred at each point along the way. This is what unfolded on Cyprus. This is what happened in Antioch. And we simply see this pattern repeat here in Iconium. When we read the text, it's like, wait a minute, haven't I heard this before? Well, that's because it's pattern. And seeing the pattern, it forces us to ask, what is it for? What is the purpose of this pattern? Well, let's just think about uh, patterns in general first before we think about this pattern specifically. These patterns are woven throughout every part of our lives. So think about what life would be like if it had none of these patterns. Think of how differently a sunset would be. If the sun set and all became dark, but you had no expectation that it would come up again, that would be much different. Think about the seasons. What if they didn't follow a pattern and there was no way for you to prepare? 
life would be chaotic without all of these wonderful patterns that God weaves throughout our lives. These patterns are very, very purposeful in our lives. So why has God given us this pattern? Why has he given us and revealed to us this pattern for gospel ministry? Why has he given us this pattern for the church in the world? Well, by definition, a pattern is a design. A pattern is a design, which means it has a designer. And that is one of the purposes behind the design. Every single pattern that we see in our lives, any pattern that we might recognize, should cause us to reflect and say, This was put here on purpose. God designed it this way. This is not accidental. It is designed. It is not random but ordered. And that is especially true for this pattern of gospel ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ himself designed this pattern so that when we experience it in this world, we know that things are going according to plan. Things are unfolding according to his design. That is one of the purposes of these patterns. They speak to us and they tell us that things are unfolding as they ought. But there is another purpose for the patterns in our lives. And you already know this because you do this instinctively. The other, part of, or the other purpose for patterns is our alignment. You already align your life to the patterns that God has woven throughout your life. You go to sleep at night. And you rise in the morning. You use the daylight for work and recreation. And you use the darkness for rest and recovery. You already align your life according to the patterns that God has placed within your life. And this pattern for gospel ministry is revealed to us that we, that the church, might align our life together according to the pattern that God has given to us. The purpose is that we see and recognize the pattern and engage in it. That we involve ourselves in this pattern of proclamation, production, and persistence. The pattern is there so that we might know how to align our lives according to God's plan for his church in this world. So the first key to pressing on is recognizing this pattern for gospel ministry. Recognizing the pattern that God has established for his church to carry out his commission for the sake of his kingdom in this world. And as we go on in the text, we come to the second key. So let's consider next the difficulties of gospel ministry. The difficulties of gospel ministry. Challenges and trials are a significant part of the Christian life. There's no way around this. Jesus himself said the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. So challenges and trials are a significant part of the Christian life. And that's what the Word of God here, this is what the Holy Spirit here sets before us in verses 4 through 7. 
So what are some of these difficulties that accompany gospel ministry? What does God's word prepare us for as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission? Well, beginning at verse 4, God's word prepares us to face difficult divisions. Look at verse 4. What happened when the gospel was proclaimed? But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some sided with the apostles. You see, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it will divide according to God's will. Think about the way that it divided this city. We're not told a lot of the details. It just said some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. But we can imagine, we can wonder at the ways of this division. Families were divided. Friends were divided. The closest relationships of life were divided. This is one of the difficulties that we will face in gospel ministry. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it divides, and Jesus told us that it would be so. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. These are the words of our Savior. And this is one of the greatest or the most difficult things that we need to endure as God's people, as his disciples. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, we will face division even within the closest relationships of life. And I wish I had to explain this to you all more. But I don't need to. Because it is present in every one of your lives. We all have friends and family that we love dearly. And yet they stand on the other side of that dividing line. And we wonder at why. We know God is powerful to save. He can change their hearts in a moment. And yet for now, they stand on the other side of the line. And so God's word here prepares us to deal with the difficulty of division Now let me, let me just pause before moving on to say, keep in mind that what you see with your eyes does not mean that it will remain this way. The preacher in our text, the Apostle Paul, once stood on the other side of the line. And then Christ came at the time that he had appointed and brought him out of darkness and into light. So keep in mind when you think of these hard divisions that they do not determine what you are to do. These divisions do not mean that you are done in those relationships. No, you are called to go. You are called to go and to bring the news in the hope of the gospel that they will be like the Apostle Paul 
and be rescued from a life of opposition to Christ. The first difficulty that we will all face in the Christian life is this difficulty of division. And then the second difficulty that we see in our text is difficult developments. As the gospel came to Iconium, it led to developments that no one anticipated, that no one could have foreseen. Paul and Barnabas perhaps foresaw it, but but not the people there in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas probably know the pattern by now. But Paul and Barnabas were welcomed at Iconium. There is no opposition in the beginning. But then when they proclaimed the gospel, and the gospel is productive, and it produces this division, then things develop in a way that the people of Iconium would never have anticipated. And here in our text, it develops into anything from a simple mistreatment of Christians all the way to the possibility of stoning. It develops anything from simple mistreatment all the way to attempted murder. The text represents this development with a range, and this range can be representative of all sorts of developments that may seek to oppose the gospel in this world. We have all seen these kinds of developments in our own lives, in our own country, in our state, in our city. Developments that we may not have anticipated. Developments that mean our lives in this world are going to be more difficult. Which means, or which leads to the final difficulty here in the text, which is the difficulty of decisions, or difficult decisions. When things develop as they do, it forces the apostles and these new disciples to wrestle with difficult decisions. And I would put those difficult decisions into two categories. The first is temptation, and the second is wisdom, matters of wisdom or judgment. As the apostles and these new, brand new disciples face this opposition, face all of these new developments, they have to make very difficult decisions. Some of those decisions fall into the category of temptation. They may be tempted to decide to compromise their message or to quit entirely. They have a decision to make. In the category of wisdom, they now have to wrestle with what do we do here? What is the right thing to do? As things have now developed, they are seeking to mistreat us. We have heard that they are seeking to stone us. Do we need to stay in Iconium to disciple these new young believers? Or do we need to flee to spare our lives for the sake of greater gospel ministry? How do you decide? Well, that is one of the difficulties of gospel ministry. There are difficult decisions that need to be made. We are tempted with some decisions that need to be made, and others are simply matters of judgment, and we are not exactly given the right way to go. Now, we do see one thing that is clear. Paul and Barnabas do not leave off of their mission. Instead, they minimize the danger that they face for the sake of further gospel ministry. So there is wisdom found here in the text. 
But when we put all of these things together, we see that gospel ministry has many, many difficulties. We are going to face divisions that break the heart. We are going to have to deal with developments that we do not see coming. We are going to face dangers to body and soul. And difficult decisions will need to be made. So why does the Holy Spirit set these difficulties before us? Well, the answer is because there is a cost to following Christ. You see, there is no such thing as a costless Christianity. No, in fact, Jesus said, if you are going to be my disciples, you need to count the cost. We all wish it were another way. We all wish that there was another way, that there was some sort of thing as a costless Christianity. But Jesus himself says, you need to count the cost to be my disciples. Luke 14. Again, hard words from Christ. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Jesus says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a reason why these strong words come to us from the lips of our Savior. There is a reason why these words are born to us by him. Jesus, our Savior, the one who died for us, says that following him will come at a cost. There is no such thing as a costless Christianity. When R.C. Sproul came to faith in college, he called his mother with what he thought was the announcement of good news. Mom, I have come to Christ. But you see, he grew up in a nominally Christian home. They went to church on Christmas and Easter. They didn't know Christ. And so when she heard his announcement, she took great offense. And suddenly, he was divided from her. R.C. Sproul had to make another phone call. Because he was engaged. He called his fiance and he told her the good news, and suddenly he was faced with a difficult decision. Things had now developed in a way that he never anticipated. He knew that to be obedient to Jesus Christ, he could not be yoked to an unbeliever. Difficult decisions, developments he did not anticipate. And suddenly, R.C. Sproul, the young R.C. Sproul, is wrestling with the cost of following Christ. He had to count the the cost in following after Jesus. And so when we return to our text here, we see Paul and Barnabas, this third time enduring the pattern or continuing on in the pattern and facing all of these different difficulties. 
And we see them counting the cost for the sake of Christ. The first key to pressing on is recognizing this pattern of gospel ministry. The second key is dealing with the difficulties associated or that will come with gospel ministry. But all of this begs the question that leads us to the third key. Why do Paul and Barnabas live this way? Why would anyone live this way? What motivates men and women to align their lives with the pattern of gospel ministry? Especially when Jesus Christ himself tells us it will come at a cost. That there will be difficulties to endure as his disciples. But when we look at our text, we see woven into it that final key to gospel ministry. So let's focus upon the motivation of gospel ministry. In verse 1, Paul and Barnabas enter the synagogue and speak in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. And then, when the Jews stirred up the Gentiles against the brothers, Paul and Barnabas speak boldly for the Lord. They speak the word of His grace. And then finally, when they are forced to flee, they move on to Lystra and Derbe. And what do they do? They continue to preach the gospel. At each point along the path, Paul and Barnabas tell of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. With each new development, they rehearse the greatest story ever told. And so there we see the key. There we see that the message itself is the motivation. The message itself is the motivation to carry on in gospel ministry. The motivation for gospel ministry is the message of Christ's grace. The motivation of gospel ministry is that good news that never grows old. The reason why Paul and Barnabas press on in the face of problems, the reason why they patiently deal with all of these difficulties, is because these two are together regularly re-enamored with the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. They never tire of telling that old, old story. Because in telling it again and again and again, they are themselves regularly lost in worship and in wonder that they are the recipients of that grace and mercy. They never tire of telling that they were once lost, that they were once dead in their trespasses and sins until God made them alive together in Christ. They never tire of announcing, yes, This whole world is lost in sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of those sins is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The message itself is the motivation. And notice this. This motivation goes in community and is proclaimed regularly. Paul and Barnabas go together for the proclamation of the gospel. And therein we see one of the gifts given to us in the church. We are to talk. 
We are to speak. We are to rejoice together in the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ for our encouragement. And we are to go to this world. We are to go to those who are still lost in their sins. And we are to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ. Because it is that message that empowers and strengthens us to joyously seek first the kingdom of God in all of the relationships of life. It is as we engage in that pattern given to us for gospel ministry that we are strengthened and renewed to endure all of the difficulties that come with gospel ministry. One of the reasons why God blesses us with the privilege of coming into his presence, but the, the privilege of gathering as his people for worship each week is so that we will come and we will hear the same story again and again and again. It is so that we will be refreshed and re-energized by the gospel again. And that is why we have been blessed with the mission of bringing this good news to the nations. We're going to sing from Psalm 96 here in a moment. And Psalm 96 calls out to us and it says, Tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his salvation every day. The gospel should come off of your lips every day. Why? Because the message is our motivation. The message is what rejuvenates us and renews us and fills us with joy, even as we endure all of these different difficulties. This is one of the blessings inherent to Christian fellowship. This is why we don't go through this life alone. We should all have, if we're Paul, a Barnabas, or if we're Barnabas, a Paul, whom we are regularly encouraging with the good news of Jesus Christ. But we also don't stop there. We go together. We go together so that the message of Christ's grace, as it bubbles up in our hearts, as we encourage one another, that it then comes out of our mouths to a world lost in sin. We can't control the outcome. But as we go with that message to this world, it will bear us up. It will encourage our hearts. It will motivate us to continue to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Years ago, I heard a pastor speaking on giving pastoral counsel to those who were discouraged. And he said he had a bit of a pattern over the years established for what he would do who, with those who were coming to him in great discouragement. So the first thing that he would do is obviously sit down with them and listen carefully. He would just sit with them and let them unpack all of the different difficulties that were leading to their discouragement. And then most of the time he would simply ask for time to ponder, time to think, time to consider all of these things that he had just heard. And then he'd ask them to do two things before they got together again. He said in the meantime, he would have these individuals, most of the time, not all of the time, plan an intention to have two conversations. 
He said, first, go find a brother or sister in the Lord and spend time talking about the gospel. He said, I don't care which aspect of the gospel you explore together. Just simply go and talk about it. Open the word together. Explore the word together. Go have that conversation. And then second, he'd say, take that news to someone who doesn't know Christ. He said, if you can, plan, intention, pray for, and seek to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to one who doesn't know him yet. And he said, almost universally, the self-reporting of these brothers and sisters was that they were greatly encouraged. He hadn't done anything about the difficulties. He had given no counsel yet about how to deal with those things, and there are, there's, there's wisdom there. There's, there's things to be done. But they were all, almost universally, greatly encouraged. Why? Because the message is our motivation. Because they were stirring up hearts together with the good news of Jesus Christ. And because they were willing to go to others to tell that story again. And no matter the outcome, the outcome didn't even matter. As they rehearsed the gospel of Jesus Christ to a sinner in need, they left encouraged. Brothers and sisters, the message of the gospel is our motivation. It is how Paul and Barnabas continued on with the pattern of gospel ministry despite its difficulties and it is what Christ has given to us so that we might be strengthened and encouraged to live the Christian life with joy. It is filled with difficulties. It is filled with very hard, real difficulties. But what God provides is the message, is the gospel. And what he has called us to actually has our motivation and our encouragement woven into it. It is in the act of carrying out the Great Commission that we are actually strengthened and encouraged despite the difficulties. And so I want you to apply this word to your life this week. I want you to begin today. You have been given a day set aside to revel again in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To rehearse how you have received mercy. And you can encourage your brothers and sisters and be encouraged by your brothers and sisters with this gift given to us today. But then second purpose to tell someone. Mothers, tell your children the story. They've heard it before. Tell them again. Fathers, tell your families. They've heard the story. Tell them again. But don't forget the loss. Because one of the greatest privileges we have in the pilgrim journey is to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ and to bear the grace of King Jesus upon our lips in the hopes that he will use it to call sinners out of darkness and into light. It is because of the pattern of gospel ministry that each of us is sitting here today. 
And we are privileged and blessed as recipients of grace to now participate in that pattern. And it is in doing so that we are strengthened and encouraged to continue on despite all difficulties. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how your word contains in it precisely what we need for this pilgrim journey. Lord God, we ask that you would strengthen and encourage our hearts today as we remember your grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, may our tables around, or our gathering around different lunch tables be filled by rehearsing the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. May our conversations to follow our worship service this morning be filled by remembering the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. May we encourage one another today with your grace and mercy. And may you bless us, Lord, as we are stirred up by your grace and mercy to be eager to have eyes that wherever we go, we bring that good news of Jesus Christ to lost sinners. Thank you for the privilege that you have given to us. That we get to spend our days declaring your salvation from day to day. Lord, give us faith. Give us faith to engage in the pattern of gospel ministry. And so experience the encouragement and joy that comes that causes us and enables us to endure the difficulties according to your design. Lord, we ask that you would do this in us. Teach us to live out our days here proclaiming your grace so that we might be those who glorify you before a watching world. Do Do this in us, we pray, for the glory and praise of your name. Amen.